of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. We're going to be in Hebrews 13. It's on page 1010 in the Blue Pew Bible. Actually, 1009 is where it starts, and then we'll flip over. Hebrews 13, verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Mm, One of my favorites. Uh, This scripture is about a journey. It's about a journey that Jesus has taken and that he asks us to follow behind him on. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all might have been able to go outside the country at any point, but uh, after I graduated from college, I got to take this once-in-a-lifetime trip. Uh, I went to Europe for like a month and you know, met up with all my friends and took all these great pictures and did all these amazing things. Trip of a lifetime. It was awesome. Uh, I'll tell you the stories another time. And what I was not prepared for at all, though, was when I was over there, I felt so out of place. I just felt like everything was a subtle reminder that I wasn't home, that I didn't belong, it wasn't familiar, uh, my family wasn't there. I mean, I had a great time, and some of that stuff was actually really fun at first, but by the end of the trip, I was like so ready to leave Paris and Rome and all these places and go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, because that was home. Um, and that's actually a really pretty good way of uh, thinking about the Christian life. We are on a journey, right? We're not home yet. Uh, we don't really fit in here. And everything around us should be at least a little bit of a reminder that we're not home yet, that we're still on a journey. We're seeking the city that is to come. Uh, I actually have the T-shirt, 7th grade, summer camp, Living like we're leaving was the slogan across the T-shirt. Okay, that's not it. Um, That's not what I'm going for. We're not living like we're going to eventually get rid of this earth and leave all the physical bad things and go away. It's more like living like I don't belong, and then Jesus is going to come back because he's committed to his creation, and he's going to give us new bodies and renew everything. So... For that to work on a t-shirt, 
might need somebody to punch that up a little bit and add a little alliteration or something. I don't know. Uh, or maybe it won't work. Maybe we'll just have to have uh, bigger T-shirts to fit all of it because it's all true. Uh, point being, this, uh, this scripture is about a journey, uh, a journey that Jesus has gone on and a journey that his people are on as well. Uh, let's look at verse 11 especially. It says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So what he's talking about here is the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement only happens once per year, and the one guy, the high priest, gets to go into the one special room, the Holy of Holies. Nobody else ever gets to go there, and he only goes one day out of the year. And he brings a slaughtered animal, and he offers blood for his sins and for the sins of the people. It was a big deal. And if you know anything about, uh, if you've been in the church for very long, or if you've read Hebrews before, you know that Jesus is that high priest. Jesus is the high priest who goes into the true holies of holies, the Father God. And he's actually the sacrifice as well. Jesus offers up his own blood as a sacrifice to cleanse his people from their sins. Uh, But I don't want you to miss what's really specifically emphasized here in Hebrews 13, and that is he's organizing it around the idea of being outside the camp. Outside the camp was a scary place. It was not somewhere you ever wanted to have to go. Uh, Outside the camp is where the unclean people were, the unwanteds, uh, the people that made you cringe a little bit because they were off and, and wrong. Uh, it was the people that you, you know, pitied, but not enough to, like, actually associate with them. And you really shouldn't associate with them because they're outside the camp. They're unclean. And if you touch them, you would get contaminated with their uncleanness. So can you imagine these people who are sentenced to be outside the camp? Their family is inside the camp. Their friends are inside the camp. Everything that makes them feel like they're at home and comfortable and familiar is inside the camp, and they're on the outside. And not just that, there's no protection, there's no safety. And of course, the biggest thing of all, God's presence is inside the camp of the Israelites. God dwells in the middle of the camp, in the tabernacle, and they're cut off from all of it. That's what it means to be outside the camp. It's a horrific place. It's not a place you would ever want to be or want to be associated with. It's the place you think, I I can't imagine myself being there. So, Jesus is on a journey, and that's the background. That's where he's coming from. Where do you think he went? Jesus went outside the camp. Jesus went to that place that you wouldn't ever think to go to. Jesus went to the shameful, terrible, reproachful people who had stigma stamped all over their forehead. That's where Jesus went. Let's look at verses 12 and 13 now. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, same as outside the camp, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now, whoever wrote Hebrews is kind of a genius because they took what's really a very small part of the whole rigmarole for the Day of Atonement I'm pretty sure there's only one verse in Leviticus 16, and it says, you know, after you've slaughtered the animal and used the blood, take the, you know, unholy, shameful, messy part, the carcass, and take it to the 
unholy, messy, shameful place outside the camp uh, and burn it up and get rid of it. And the author of Hebrews takes that one verse, that one small thing, and says, even that, even that has to find its true and full fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He takes this idea of being outside the camp, and he says, that's where Jesus went. Everything, everything has to come in around Jesus. And Jesus, when he went outside the camp, established a new symbol. Uh, This is the altar that those who serve at the tent have no right to eat. Jesus went outside the camp to the shameful place. He didn't suffer on a stone altar. He didn't suffer inside where it was safe. He suffered outside the camp. And when he did that, he established a new symbol. And because it was outside the camp, it wasn't just for the little the temple insiders, those few people. It was for the whole world. Because Jesus journeyed to the shame, he created a true altar. Not as an animal that had to be sacrificed over and over and over again every year, but as a man. And not just a man, but a sinless man. A person who really was the only truly clean one who could make a perfect sacrifice. And, not just a sinless man, but he is the eternal God over all. Jesus journeyed to create the true altar where people really can find cleanliness and forgiveness from their sins. And when Jesus went outside the camp, when he went to that shameful place, he found us. We are the shameful ones, right? Isn't that what we confess when we come to Jesus? We say, yes, that's me. I need it. I need protection. I need a home. I have shame and I need you to take it and I don't know where else to turn. So where did Jesus go? He went to the center of your shame. That's where he went. Jesus went outside the camp to the place you're not supposed to go so that he could heap up all the shame on top of himself so that you don't have to deal with it anymore. And he didn't just kind of like take one step outside the camp and, you know, peek around and be like, you guys, you can come in now, you know. He's not playing it safe and just kind of putting one foot outside the camp. Jesus identified with the shame so much so that he took a cross of reproach on top of himself. I can't imagine anything more shameful than a cross. I can't imagine anything more shameful than going outside Jerusalem and being executed as a common criminal with no one around you. And Jesus did that so that he could take your shame. He went all the way to the bottom of it on the cross. So, whatever's popping into your head right now, whatever um, sin that you just can't seem to stop, and it's shameful to tell anyone about it, or whatever might have happened to you in your past, and every time you think about it, you relive it, and it's shameful. That's where Jesus went. Whatever you've done, whatever's happened to you, whatever experience, whatever it is, that makes waves of shame come on top of you. That's where Jesus went. Jesus went to that shame, all the way to the center of it, so that you don't have to bear it anymore. That's where Jesus went. Isn't that amazing? I wonder where you guys might need to hear that tonight. But that's actually not where the journey ended. Jesus came from the Old Testament sacrificial system. He journeyed to your shame. And then, verse 14, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
Jesus is on a journey, not just to the shame, but through the shame, to the everlasting city. Hold on to your hats here, because I think the we in verse 14 includes Jesus. Jesus does not have that lasting city yet. Even Jesus is looking forward to full and final salvation. Jesus has been vindicated. He's resurrected. He's got his new body. He's victorious. But even Jesus is waiting on that city where he will shine like the sun. Jesus is waiting to be with you, to be your God, so that you can be his people. He's still waiting on that city where there will be no more tears, there will be no more chaos, there will be no more sin, there will be no more pain, and there will be no more shame. Even Jesus is waiting on the fullness of salvation to come. Isn't that crazy? And the reason that Jesus could go to that terrible shame of the cross is because he knew that abiding city was in front of him. He knew where he was going. He knew the end of his journey. And that's why he could endure the terrible reproach of going outside the camp. Okay, I want to flip back just one page to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And the author does the same thing, but it's a little more compact. And I think it'll help kind of Uh, further my point and help you understand a little bit better this idea of the journey. Chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, This is us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. You hear it? It's the same thing. It's the journey that Jesus took. He knew that there was joy set before him. And so he took the cross. He looked straight at the cross and all of the shame that it signified, knowing that he didn't have to, knowing that we didn't deserve it. And he said, yes, I will endure that shame. I will go even that far for my people. I will take on even the reproach of the cross. And why would he do that? Why would anyone voluntarily suffer? He did it because there was joy set in front of him. Jesus had great joy in front of him, and that's what allowed him to go through the shame. Okay, this is the hinge now. I've been talking about the journey of Jesus, how he came from the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system. He journeyed to the shame because the abiding city was in front of him. And now I want to talk about uh, kind of like a, a little middle part, a little hinge to the second part. And this is it. I've got good news, okay? The story of Jesus, the journey of Jesus, is your journey. Right? The journey of Jesus is your journey. And that's salvation. Salvation is you and Jesus overlapping more and more and more and more. It means Jesus in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his journey becomes yours. See, Jesus is righteous. That means you're righteous. Jesus is holy and set apart to God. You're holy and set apart to God. Jesus died to sin. Sin no longer has a hold on him. You have died to sin, and sin no longer has a hold on you. Jesus is the beloved son of his father. You are the beloved son of your father. The journey of Jesus is your journey, and that's salvation. Let me show you, again in Hebrews, chapter 11. So you just go over like one column. 
11.24. And we're going to see how the journey of Jesus becomes the journey of his people. 11.24, talking about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What? Why would he do that? I mean, Moses, you've got the cushiest lifestyle possible at that time in the world. He was an Egyptian prince. I mean, he had everything. And he says, no, no, I want to hang out with the Israelites. I want to associate myself with these lowly, silly, foolish, shameful, reproachful people. I'm an Egyptian prince, but I'd rather wander around in the desert with them for 40 years while they don't listen to me, and then I don't get into the promised land. <laughs> what? Is he, is he nuts? I mean, what? why? Why would he do this? Why would he voluntarily take on this shame? Verse 36, 26. He considered the reproach, same word as chapter 13, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Oh, he was on a journey, right? Moses was on a journey, and he said, no, there's a much greater reward. There's a joy set before me. There's an abiding city that I can get to, and I am more than willing to take on the reproach and shame of Jesus and his people if I can get there. If I can get to the end of this journey, I'll go through the shame. Absolutely. The journey of Jesus is the journey of Moses, and that's salvation. One more time. Flip back another page towards the end of chapter 10. It's in the top right. Chapter 10, verse 32. And now the author of Hebrews is talking uh, directly to his audience. Uh, Verse 32, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, same word, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Hold the phone. Joyfully accepted the plundering of your property? Are these people insane? I mean, did I read this wrong or what's going on here? Here's what was going on. If you were a Christian and you got thrown in prison, you weren't going to be treated well. You probably weren't going to be fed. And so what the authorities would do is use you as kind of bait to get other Christians to come visit you, you know, help you out, pray for you, feed you, and then they know who you were too. And then when you got back home, all your stuff is gone. And the Christians looked at the situation. They saw their friends in need at prison. They went and helped them, fed them, encouraged them, prayed for them. And they got back. Their stuff was gone. The iPad was gone. The diamond earrings were gone. All the Bibles, gone. The fridge was cleared out. Everything was gone. And they were happy. They rejoiced when their property was plundered. Because they didn't care about their stuff. Lord Jesus, please help us not to care about our stuff. Um, hmm. They didn't care about their stuff. Are these, I mean, are these people insane? Is there actually like something wrong with them? And the guy doesn't have the vocabulary to call them medically insane? Or are they on a journey? Let's look back at verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession 
and an abiding one. Yes. Yes. That's it. They had a better possession and an abiding one in front of them. They had joy set before them. They had an abiding city that they were going to. They had a greater wealth. And so they were fine with it. They said, yeah, take all my stuff. I don't care. That's not my treasure. That's not my possession. This isn't my home. I'm going somewhere else. And I'd be happy to take on the shame of this place if I can just get there. It's the journey of Jesus becoming the journey of his people. And that's salvation. Uh, One of the commentators that I read said, there's a form of intimate sharing that unites Jesus and his followers in the common experience of repudiation and disgrace. That's so true. There's there's a special kind of fellowship uh, and sharing that we get with Jesus when we share that common experience of repudiation and disgrace. That's what's going on here in this journey. There's a, there's an old story about a guy who wanted to be a Christian. He figured if he was going to be a Christian, he should probably get rid of his money. So he did. Um, he gave away his inheritance. And he was actually a really rich guy and still pretty young. And his parents were not happy. <laughs> they fought him on it. And he said, no, I'm going to follow Jesus. I've got to give away my inheritance. You know, I can't let that be my security. And so he did. But he still didn't feel like... You know, like he was really following Jesus. He wasn't really sure that, that God had saved him and that he was a child of the king. And so he figured, you know, maybe my inheritance isn't enough. Maybe I ought to give away all my other money too. So he did. They didn't have monks yet, but he was basically a monk. He had one pair of clothing, and he begged for his food, and he gave away all the rest of it. But even then, he just thought, I'm, st- I'm still not sure. I don't... I don't know that God has accepted me. Well, maybe there's something else that I need to be doing. And one day, he's walking along the road, and he saw a leper. And lepers had always just repulsed him. And he went up to the leper. He had a little bit of bread in his pocket, and he kind of, you know, just kind of tentatively, like, I guess I'm supposed to be doing this if I'm going to follow Jesus. And he offered the bread to the leper. And when their hands touched, that was the moment when he realized, I'm the leper. I'm the shameful person. And Jesus has come to me. Jesus has journeyed outside the camp to my shame. I'm not the one that's supposed to be doing all these things in order to get salvation. I'm the one who has to receive salvation. And he got down and he hugged the guy. A leper, a guy who probably hadn't had meaningful physical contact in years. It's a beautiful, beautiful story uh, about a guy realizing what salvation really is uh, and giving himself. And it's a story of journeying uh, to this person's shame. Uh, Makes the story even cooler because the guy's name turned out to be St. Francis of Assisi and he founded an order of monks that would do charity and follow Jesus for centuries afterward. Um, But that, this part is is my hinge. So we've talked about the story of Jesus. We talked about where he's coming from, from the Old Testament sacrifice. He journeyed to the shame He's looking for the abiding city. And we've seen how that story overlaps with the story of Jesus' followers, and that is their salvation. So, let's talk about our journey. If that's the journey of Jesus, and the idea is for our journey to overlap with Jesus, what does our journey look like? Well, I'll tell you this. We are coming from a totally different place. We are not coming from the Old Testament animal sacrifices that never did any good. 
Let's go back to chapter 13 and verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. That's our starting point. Our starting point is the real deal sacrifice of the Son of God slain for sinners. We start from a clean slate. We start from a perfect position. We start from a position of cleanness and acceptance because Jesus has already journeyed to us. This journey starts from a position of security and cleanliness and acceptance. What it means to be sanctified is uh, to be cleansed, you know, to have all of that shame washed away. And that's how we start. Isn't it, isn't it weird and crazy and kind of paradoxical that Jesus, the only truly clean one, when he goes outside the camp to us who are unclean and touches us, He's contaminated with our uncleanness, but we're contaminated with his cleanness. Isn't that crazy that when Jesus goes outside the camp, we get clean. Jesus rubs off on people with his cleanness. That's what it means to be sanctified. To be sanctified means the very cleanness and inside the campness of Jesus is given to us who are shameful and dirty and belong outside the camp. So we're starting clean. But if sanctified means cleansed, it also means, uh, you know, like set apart for holy work. It means there's a journey in front of us. So to be sanctified means we are at the beginning of a pilgrimage. Um, It's the whisper of that welcome home that I talked about that I got uh, from uh, when I came home from my Europe trip. It's the whisper of that because we know it's coming. We know it's coming at the end. And if we know it's coming and we can go to the shame now. Of course, uh, the problem is a lot of us have forgotten who we really are. We've forgotten that we really belong outside the camp. We've begun to think that, actually, my rightful place is inside the camp. This is where I belong. We forget that it was total, crazy, unabashed grace that made Jesus come out to us and make us clean and make us worthy. And for those people, it's time to get up and it's time to go outside the camp. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Let's go. Let's go outside the camp. If you've been around the church long enough to speak Christianese, I'm saying get outside your comfort zone. You heard that one, right? You get outside your comfort zone. You do. You need to get outside your comfort zone and go outside the camp. But this is not just uh, a burden. This is not just, you need to be going and doing this. And if you're not doing it, you're a bad person. You're not a good Christian. This is not just a huge burden uh, that I'm trying to lay on top of you. Look a little more closely at chapter 13 or verse 13. It says, therefore, let us go to him. We're going to Jesus. That's where he is. Don't you want to be close to Jesus? Don't you want to have closer fellowship with him? Don't you want to know him better and, and just be, be more like him and be around him more? Well, he's outside the camp. It wasn't a one-time thing. Jesus still identifies with 
the freaks, the outcasts, the people who are outside the camp, who you pity, but not pity enough to actually associate with them. That's where Jesus is. So let's go to him. Let's go outside the camp to the people that make us cringe, to the people that make us uncomfortable, to the places we think we would never go, and that is where we will find Jesus. There is a kind of intimate sharing that unites Jesus and his followers in the common experience of repudiation and disgrace. So what about, uh, what about Fort Worth Prez? What about us? Are we the kind of church group that journeys outside the camp, that goes to the shame? Are we the kind of people that when shameful people walk in, they don't feel so shameful, they feel welcomed? Are we that kind of church? Or have we gotten really comfortable inside the camp? Mmm, feels so good inside the camp. I love my spot inside the camp. Don't you? I just love it. It feels so good. Got all my Christian friends and all my Christian activities, and this is just the spot for me. I just feel so good inside the camp. It's time to get up and go. Time to go outside the camp. What does that mean? Maybe, maybe, it means the next time you have uh, a little small group, instead of meeting at Panera Bread, that haven for the white evangelical. I love Panera Bread as much as anyone else, but let's call a spade a spade. Maybe, instead of going to Panera Bread for your small group, you go to the bingo hall. And you go there, and you sit down with people and say, Hey, it's Tuesday afternoon and you're at the bingo hall. What's your story? And you look at each other and you think, this is going to be awkward. Like, I don't, I don't know these kinds of people. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this building. I'm tempted to look down on them and I feel totally uncomfortable. You look at each other and you say that and then you say, let's journey to the shame. Let's go outside the camp. And maybe, maybe, it means for your next uh, Bible study, uh, when it starts to turn into just a big round of self-congratulations and patting each other on the back because we're all good and reformed Christians, maybe it means turning to that person who shares way too much and saying, hey, super awkward person who talks way too much and cries too much and no one knows what to do with you. You got the floor. You got the floor. We want to hear from you. Come on, let's hear it. And you look at each other and you think, well, something's about to happen. This is going to be awkward. Nobody knows what's going to happen, and nobody has any answers for this person. But you also look at each other and you say, let's journey to the shame. Let's go outside the camp together. And why? Why would you do that? Why would you take your safe, clean, predictable Christian life and risk messing it up and making it dirty and making it risky and making it unpredictable? Why would you do that? Because there's a city still to come. This isn't home. This isn't the place to feel comfortable, to feel great about yourself. This isn't inside the camp. The real camp is still coming. And the real camp is going to fill the whole world. When the true and abiding city comes, when the joy that's set before us comes, the true wealth, the lasting and abiding possession, when that comes, there will be no such thing as an outsider. You won't feel like an outsider 
ever. Every person you look at, you'll know 100% that they have nothing but love for you. And you'll know that you have nothing but love for them. That's what new creation is. That's where we're headed. There is no shame. There is no sin. There is no outside the camp because Jesus fills all of it. And if that's what's ahead of us, if that's where we're going, surely we can endure shame now. Let's look again at, at verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And seeking here means looking intently. It means you're eager. It means, man, when's the city going to come? Gosh, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the city. When's it going to come? When's it going to come? When's it going to come? It means you're eager and intent. You know, the uh, early Christians actually considered it a sin not to long for the second coming of Jesus daily. And I don't know about you, but the only time that's actually a little bit true in my life is when I feel in this world like this is not my home. This is not where I belong. And I feel shameful. And I feel out of place. And I feel like a screw-up. And I feel like I, this can't be my home. I sure hope this isn't my home. And the truth is, it isn't. It isn't. Whatever you're going through, whatever brings those waves of shame on you, they're all going to pass away. They're all going to be gone. And we're going to enter into that abiding city that can never go away. The place where shame can never come on anyone because Jesus has taken it all away. And we're going to see him face to face. And everything will be one camp. So beautiful. Well, my brothers and sisters, whom I love, we are called to journey to the shame outside camp. When we look behind us, we see a true, perfect, cleansing sacrifice of Jesus Christ taking away our shame. And when we look ahead, we see a true, perfect, and lasting city that we will enter. So, let's go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we need your help. We need your grace. We need to believe that, uh, that we are outsiders who have been brought in by your grace. And we need to believe that uh, we can go outside the camp to the uncomfortable places. And we need to find you there. Lord, we need to uh, be joined to you more. Uh, we want your journey to become our own. And there's just no way that can happen at Fort Worth Prez unless you come and help. Lord, would you put that city where you dwell in front of our eyes so that here we can uh, go to the shame and follow in your dreams. A pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times directions to the church and to subscribe to this podcast our web address is fortworthpca.org fort worth presbyterian is a part of the presbyterian church in america jesus my lord
shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?